All right, good morning. How is everybody? Good, good to see you this morning. So grateful that you've joined us for worship. Thank you to all of you that are connecting with us online. Really grateful that you've chosen to be here. We are finishing up uh, a 14-week series in the book of Revelation. I think it could have been 14 months, and we still wouldn't have been done. There's just uh, so much to talk about with this particular book. But today we'll look at chapter 22, uh, the last chapter of the book of Revelation. Sort of while you're uh, turning and getting situated in your copy of God's Word, and if you need a Bible, there should be one in the the chair in front of you. I want to invite you uh, to come on a field trip with me who likes field trips when you're in school did you love field trip day i loved field trip day this is an epic field trip coming off uh, the study of revelation uh september 11 to 21 we're going to uh take a journey to biblical asia minor which is modern day turkey and uh you're invited i want you to think about it i want you to pray about it it's uh it's not just a tour It is an incredible discipleship experience. In fact, I would go so far as to say you will probably never be the same once you walk the biblical text in context. So on this particular experience, what we're looking at is how the disciples took the gospel message from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth, which was biblical Asia Minor. So we study all seven churches on location, all seven churches of the book of Revelation on location in the archaeology of those seven churches. And uh, you will see with your eyes and hear with your ears things that, that you wouldn't just normally see and hear. We'll look at Paul's missionary journeys. We'll walk in his footsteps and we'll talk about how the, the shalom, the peace of Christ came to what was the chaos of the peace of Rome, in fact. And we'll look at that, Pax Romana, and how to take the gospel to it. And it's just like the Pax Americana. There's not much difference. We learn a lot of lessons about how to take the gospel to our own people here. So I'd love to invite you to come. There should be a, a flyer in your worship guide. Certainly you can, you can find that online. It's an epic field trip. I'm not going to lie. And the coffee's really good in Turkey, if you like coffee. All right, stand with me. Revelation chapter 22. We're going to read all of it. Uh, so stand, get ready uh, with strength. And at the end of the, uh, the main text reading, we say this phrase, the very words, just to distinguish God's word from my own. So here's what it says. Revelation chapter 22. The angel showed me the river of, of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps these words of the prophecy of this book. 
I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone uh, takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You can be seated. So we have, for 14 weeks, uh, traveled this, this one book, the book of Revelation. Uh, it is one revelation. So if I, like, if I got a huge win from this 14 weeks, it would be this, that nobody from Bay Area Church would ever say revelations. There's no S on the end. There's no S because it's one revelation uh, from Jesus given to John And he has unpacked all of this revelation to us uh, in the book of Revelation. And so we come to the end of it today. I am as convinced that the book of Revelation is as much about how the church should obey God in the midst of all this as it is telling us what is to come. And we have to balance those two Things. Now, as we jump into Revelation 22, I'll just remind you, we started in there are basically three parts to the book of Revelation. So we started with seven letters to seven churches in, in, in the book of Revelation. These are the seven churches of Asia Minor, real churches living at the time. This letter was delivered to them from John about 95 AD. The second part of the book of Revelation is tribulation and judgment. It's it's like a new exodus. So it shows us how God is bringing his people out of brokenness and bondage that is this world through judgment and into what is the third series, the restoration of all things or the final promised land, this new Jerusalem uh, that we talked about last week. So today is a huge wrap up and it pushes us toward obedience. So let's just look at this very quickly. I'll make three observations. The first one 
at the beginning of Revelation 22, and, and you'll see this detailed in verses 1 to 5, is, is simple. The tree of life is back. The tree of life is back. Doesn't sound like a profound sermon point, right? You're not going to run out the door, at least initially, going, the tree of life is back. The tree of life is back. It's actually a really big deal because the last time we saw the tree of life was in Genesis chapter 3, as Adam and Eve were ushered outside the garden and banned from entering the garden again because of their sin. And inside the garden was guarded the tree of life. So from that moment on, All the way until this point in the scriptures, everybody dies. Everybody dies because of sin. But we get to this point and we have the tree of life again showing up in Revelation 22. Look at it. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the city of the street. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations or the people groups. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So in this moment in Revelation 22, we've already now entered this new heaven, this new Jerusalem. We find lining the main street, the cardo of the new Jerusalem, we find the tree of life on each side and it's yielding 12 kinds of fruit, one kind of fruit in each month, every month. So it's not seasonal like uh, it happens, you know, in the spring uh, harvest, but nothing's happening, you know, the rest of the time of the year, the fruit. No, this fruit is yielded every month, telling us that this life, this eternal life is sustainable and it's it's apparent and it it goes on from month to month to month it's it's the sustenance of life it's it's the restoration of all things that once this tree of life was in the garden when everything was perfect before sin now this tree of life again is a symbol of the sustenance of eternal life that comes from being with god restored in his presence through jesus the other thing we see is that nothing accursed will enter here. And that, that is uh, also interesting to us because in Genesis chapter 3, uh, a curse was issued to Satan as the one who was the reason for the ground being cursed because he had tempted Adam and Eve. And we have lived under such a curse for a long time, the curse of sin and death because of sin. But it says in Galatians that Jesus on the cross became cursed. So we wouldn't have to be cursed anymore. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he took on our sin. He took on the curse of our sin so that we can uh, one day be with him in the new Jerusalem and, and we will be there. But nothing cursed will be there. No more sin. No more impact of sin. Uh, no more sinfulness. Uh, nothing cursed 
will be there. Everything will be restored. The tree of life is back. And what we find in this, this section also is ownership and shared reign. If you look at verse four and five, it says they will see his face and his name will be on their forehead. So this is the, uh, the mark of God almighty. We're his kids. This is his mark. And we will, uh, we will reign with him forever and ever. So this is understanding of ownership and shared life. We get a, it's an amazing thing to think about. Uh, a, a cardo running through this city that we described last week in Revelation 21, this main street city uh, with a, a street that is the water of life. And on each side of it, the tree of life lining this, this street. And it bears fruit month after month after month. It never withers because there's no death there. It's eternal. So the tree of life is back. So you can now run out the back door today going, the tree of life is back. The tree of life is back because the restoration of all things. It says uh, next, and this is the second observation that I make from Revelation chapter 22. It's a simple phrase repeated three times in Revelation 22. It says, uh, behold, I am coming soon. So Jesus says three times in Revelation 22, I am coming soon. Now we have a friend, uh, I have a friend on our staff. His name is Max. He uh, is our senior adult minister. Definitely the oldest guy on our staff. He's, he's seen it all, been everywhere, all, all around the world, that kind of thing. And Max asked me one day, like, hey, what does soon mean? What does soon mean? Behold, I am coming soon. I mean, the question behind that is when will it happen, right? When is this going to take place? And the answer to that question, biblically, it's kind of like, before I give you the answer, it's kind of like this. You remember before uh, everybody had a GPS on their phone and you were sitting in the back seat as a kid and your mom or your dad was driving, you were going on a road trip and every 15 minutes you asked this question like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they were always saying like 15 more minutes. It'll be 10 more minutes, 15 more minutes. It was really like 14 hours and they did that to you for 15 minutes on the way to Florida or, or wherever. Soon, in the eyes of God, is different than soon to me, a 48-year-old individual, right? It's a matter of uh, perspective. And biblically, the answer to the question, when is he going to return? The biblical answer is when the Father says. When the Father says, right? So clearly in the context of Scripture, uh, Mark chapter 13, 32 to 33, I'll just read that uh, to you. In the gospel of Mark, it says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, even, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. So when is soon? We don't know exactly. We've been through the book of Revelation, so we know some things are going to happen. We know what to look for, all those kinds of things, but we don't know exactly. And so the admonition, the command of all of Scripture is be alert, stay awake, because it could happen today or tomorrow or 10 years from now. We're not sure. But God knows, and this is important because it's repeated three times. Jesus is coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. It is 
eminency in the language. It is certainty in the language. There is no doubt to it at all. It's just as if he said, I was going to be born in Bethlehem. In prophecy, he was born in Bethlehem. It actually happened. Same thing is going to happen here. All the prophecy that we've talked about points to the fact that Jesus will return. It's eminent. It's certain, according to the scriptures. And Jesus repeats it three times in this end portion of the book of Revelation. I am coming soon. Now, the question is, how are we, how should we live in light of this entire revealed message from Revelation chapter one to Revelation 22? How should we live? And I want to reiterate here, this is not just apocalyptic literature that is intended to make us think about all the possibilities in the future. It's to reveal something to us. It's not a code to be cracked, but it is a revelation. It is a revealing. God is saying, this is what is going to happen. It reveals again the theme that Jesus is Lord. It reveals again the theme that he is going to return. So in light of that, how should we live? And believe it or not, Revelation, the entire book, actually answers the question for us. And I want to walk through what are called seven Beatitudes of the book of Revelation. I don't know if you think about what a Beatitude is. Most people think the Beatitudes are just in the book of Matthew. Blessed is the one, blessed is the one, you know, but there are seven beatitudes, seven blessed people, kinds of people in the book of Revelation. And these are admonitions for how we should live. And so let's walk through these, hearing these things as this is how I should live in light of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter one, verse three, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So who is the blessed one? They are the ones who hear and obey the words of this prophecy. They are the ones who are blessed. So what should you do? How should you live in light of the book of Revelation? Live to hear and obey God. Number one. That's it. Live to hear and obey God. It seems really simple. It'd be nice. It'd be nice if we could figure out exactly when Jesus will return. And we could spend a lot of time trying to figure out when Jesus will return. But it says in the very beginning, the blessed is the one who hears, who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and who keeps what is written in it, who obeys it. So we live to hear and obey God. That's just the, that's just basic discipleship to hear and obey God through this letter. The second blessing and the second kind of person who is blessed revelation chapter 14, verse 13, it says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on blessed. Indeed says the spirit that they may rest from their labors for their deeds. Follow them. So Revelation chapter 14 is saying, in light of all this, the one who endures and dies in the Lord is blessed. And so how should we live because of the book of Revelation? We should live to endure in the faith. We should live to remain faithful. 
No matter what the circumstances are, no matter how old we get, we should every day remain and endure faithful. This is how we should live in light of the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he's coming again, that all these things have been revealed to us. We should live to endure and remain faithful. Now, here is the third beatitude in the book of Revelation. It says in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Now, the third kind of person that is blessed is the one who lives alert and anticipating the return of Christ. This is stay awake. Sleep with your clothes on, spiritually speaking. You don't want to be exposed on that day. There are all kinds of euphemisms that go with this particular one that you can probably think through and think about. The idea is simple, that we should live in light of the book of Revelation. We should live with the anticipation for the return of Christ as if it might happen today. As if it might happen tomorrow when we wake up. We don't know exactly. And so we live with the anticipation of his returning, understanding that we should stay awake. That person who is awake and alert to the things of Jesus based on the book of Revelation, he or she is blessed. Here's the fourth beatitude in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. And the angel said unto me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So everyone that has an invitation, the one who is invited, everyone who has an invitation to the marriage supper of the lamb is blessed. So as followers of Jesus, everyone who has confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they have been saved. They have been issued an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So if you are in that category, as one who follows Jesus, confesses him as Savior and Lord, then the way that we live in the in light of the book of Revelation is we live with joy in the presence of God now, knowing we hold an invitation to that marriage supper of the Lamb later. This is not all that there is. There is much, much more. You know, I made fun of it uh, several weeks ago when I said, sometimes I walk by cars, I'm not having a good day, and I see that hashtag blessed on the back of a car. Somebody's got a shirt on, it's like hashtag blessed, and you're like, what does that even mean? You know, you get like that in your head sometimes. Each one of us, can, can you imagine this? Each one of us in Christ holds an invitation to sit at his table. In his household and eat hummus and olives and drink coffee and sounds amazing to me. No pizza there, I don't think. Maybe, maybe. We don't get to dictate that. I don't know what it'll have, but I know it'll be great. And I know whatever it is, there'll be enough. And if you have an invitation to that, man, you are blessed. And so we live that way, understanding that blessed is the one 
uh, are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, here is the, the fifth beatitude in the book of Revelation. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. That verse says, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. We had baptism today. We're going to have uh, three more in the next hour. In baptism, this was just a picture as he went through this baptism. It's like who he was before he, he accepted Christ, before he had a belief in Jesus in his heart, before Christ transformed him. And he goes under the water, and it's like a picture of, of dying with Christ. He identifies with him in his death. When he comes up, it's a picture of that first resurrection. It's that picture of Jesus' resurrection and his new life in Christ. Blessed is the one who shares in the first resurrection. If you are one who says, you know what? I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that he was raised from the dead. You are blessed and all things in eternity, no matter how horrible it looked in the book of Revelation, we should live uh, in, the, in this light. Live that we, are know, we know that in Christ we are blessed because, because we take part in the first resurrection, we have freedom and deliverance from what is called the second death. My body will die once. My soul will go to the present heaven if the, if the Lord Jesus has not returned yet. When, when he returns, when he ushers in the new heaven and the new earth, I will join him there to, to rule and reign. Why? Because I believed in the first resurrection. And that because of that, I I will die in my body, but my soul will live on. I will be given a new body at just the right time, according to the scriptures. And I will never die twice. I will live eternity in that city with that cardo lined with the tree of life that, that yields fruit every month. Right? In the presence of God. There's no temple there because his light, he is the light and the lamb is the lamp. So this is, this is a blessing. Blesses the one who shares in the first resurrection. And, and that's what we're doing when we're baptized. We're, we're showing, we're demonstrating that we share in this first resurrection. Here's the sixth thing. In Revelation chapter 22, the sixth beatitude, the sixth blessed one here is, it says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of the book. So blessed are those who obey, who observe, who conform to the prophecy of this book. It is a joy and we live with the joy, understanding. Do you know, I thought about this this week. <clears throat> Do you know God, he didn't have to tell us anything about how the future would be. He didn't. But he did. He told us some very specific things. He gave the church instructions about how to live in this time. He showed us what tribulation would be like. He, he showed us that he will fulfill the promise that he's coming back again to get us as followers of Jesus. He showed us the future of the new Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth, that everything will be restored. He gave us this book to reveal to us that all of his promises and all of scripture are going to ring true. And we can hold on to those things and live in joy and, and obey him, keep these, these these words, even in very difficult days, 
that are like tribulation, that are sufferers. Uh, it was meant to encourage. So blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I mean, if you think about that in detail, and the, the obedience that comes with understanding. Do you understand? I mean, let me just mention a couple of things. Do you understand from the book of Revelation how powerful Jesus is? He literally is the sovereign king of the universe. He is Lord God Almighty. He says several times, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. There is none like him. And when you live in light of that, it drives an understanding that powerful Jesus became the lamb that was crucified that I might be saved. He let a Roman, a measly Roman, nail him to a cross. He's the sovereign king of the universe. He did that for the will of his father. He did that to appease the wrath and justice of God because I deserve uh, judgment because of my sin. And, and he offered freely the gift that is the grace of the good news of the gospel that, that just says anyone who comes to me for forgiveness will be forgiven and saved from the wrath of God and given new identity in a place that is in this New Jerusalem. So we, when we unpack this, we think, who am I? What am I obeying here? I'm obeying the words of the one who revealed them to us. And he is the most powerful of all. He always has been. He always will be. The one who keeps these words of the prophecy of the book. Do you think if, if you understand how powerful Jesus is, do you think it changes the direction of your feet every day? Does it impact what you do with your hands? Does it impact, you know, what comes out of your mouth? We're not shooting for behavior. Behavior never saves us. But obedience to Christ who saved us changes our behavior. It, it, it changes what I do with my hands, what I think with my mind. And so the one who obeys the prophecy of this book, do you think, okay, if we know, just repeat it in this chapter three times, Jesus says, behold, I'm coming soon. Does that change the direction of my feet today? Does that change the work of my hands today? The, the meditation of my heart, the, the words of my mouth today. If I keep that in mind, if I keep the prophecy of this book in the forefront, it, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. To keep the words, to conform to the word, that word keep is, is to observe and to conform. Uh, to the prophecy of this book, is, it changes everything about how we spend our days here on the earth. Whether he returns while we're still walking this planet or whether we die before he returns, it changes everything about how we are, who we are. Not just who we are, but how we are. So... The sixth beatitude just teaches us that we live in, in light of the book of Revelation. We live with joy, keeping the prophecy of the book. And here's the seventh uh, beatitude in the, in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. 
It says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Now, what does this even mean? Well, the metaphor all through scripture is that me, just a a, a dude born in 1973, Cinco de Mayo, by the the 6th of May, I I was already in trouble with my sin. 1973, you know, I was just born into it, born with dirty robes. And so the, 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 the thing is that in heaven, what we get is a picture that, that everybody in there has white robes. And so by the time, from the time you're, you know, you're born in these dirty robes because of sin, you got to figure out how to wash the robes so that you don't show up at the end of your life with dirty robes. It makes sense, right? The metaphor. The problem is, Like, no matter how I scrub myself, I can't get them clean. And all kinds of religions and faith systems, they try to give you different ways for scrubbing your robes. That's the bottom line of these faith systems. Like, you can get them, if you just do this five times a day, if you just do this, if you just do that, if you know, whatever. You can even pay God off if you just write a big enough check, you know, that kind of thing. None of that. People try to wash their robes in a number of different ways. It just doesn't work. And so what the scripture teaches us is that Jesus actually, uh, instead of trying to wash our uh, robes with our own good deeds or, or whatever, Jesus actually pours his blood all over our robes. You would think that 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 would make it worse. But the metaphor is simple. You'd think, you know, you pour blood on on robes, you get a bloody robe. But the, the message of the gospel is when you pour Jesus' blood on your dirty robes, you get a white robe. That you are clothed now in righteousness. That he put his, his cloak, his robe on you. You didn't have one in the closet that fit the white robe category. I didn't have one in the closet that fit the white robe category. But this is Jesus who is coming back again repeated three times when he came the first time between Bethlehem when he was born and Jerusalem when he was crucified. He lived sinlessly and in Jerusalem he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. And so we get everybody who comes to him. For the forgiveness of sin, he washes their robes in blood. You can't have atonement or the forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. And now, for me, a guy born in 1973, born a sinner, proven sinner. If I, you know, I have one resume that I show everybody the other resume. If we just had a resume of sin, what would yours look like? What would mine look like? You know, Jesus took that and he just clothed it in righteousness with his work on the cross. He's that powerful. Yes, he's the sovereign king of the universe. He's also the only one who can forgive sins. And so John ends like this. It's, I mean, truly the seventh beatitude, blessed are those made clean by the blood of Jesus and freed from sin. I mean, how do we live in light of revelation? 
We live in humility and the joy of forgiveness, knowing because you've been given a white robe that you will enter the new city and have access to the tree of life. That's eternal sustenance for eternal life. You'll be with Jesus forever in a real city that I'd say, if you missed it last week, go back and listen to uh, that message because it details this new Jerusalem. It's not just some ethereal figment, but it is a, it is a hustling, bustling, perfect city. And you'll be there robe of white, not because of anything you did, but because of what he did on the cross for us. This is where you say, amen. Come on a little bit louder. There we go. Uh, If you're not saying it now, you will be one day to practice. Um, Last verse. And this is the conclusion. This is how, this is how John concludes. And we get these seven beatitudes, seven ways that we should be living in light of all this. But John ends like this. and, And if you turn to revelation chapter 22, verse 20 and 21, I'd like you to see what he said. I think there's always something to uh, how someone ends uh, a letter, a book. He says this in verse 20. Uh, he, to, he who testifies to these things, that's John speaking of himself. I'm the one that's testifying now to these things that I saw. He who testifies to these things says, uh, actually, Jesus saying this, surely I am coming soon. And John echoes, amen, come Lord Jesus. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Surely I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. That's your part, right? So let's do it again. Surely I am coming soon. Right? I mean, we're very American about all that. So let's try one more time. Surely I am coming soon. Amen and amen. And this is how we should live with the so be it. Amen is so be it. Like let him come. I'm ready in Christ. My robes have been washed white. Until then, I'm on mission with him that other people may know him. And John ends like this, verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And that's the deal. That is the deal. Who here is not here except for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, you cannot underestimate the power of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We uh, believe it in, in our mind that, that he really took the penalty of our sin for us. We believe it. But one day we will stand before the judge uh, according to the scripture. And we will, we will be shown as one who is clothed in righteousness. We'll be uh, issued, uh, ushered into heaven. And you will know at that moment the power of the grace in a, in, of Jesus in a way that, that maybe you can't even get your mind completely around right now. You will know it. And, uh, and so walk in it. Walk in it. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Let's pray.
Father, we, um, we, we just stop in this moment and ask you to speak to us by your spirit. Thank you for your word. That's so clear. Father, we wanted to say thank you for uh, for giving us this revelation. Thank you that we hold it in our hands and we read it in our own language. We know that's a miracle in and of itself. <clears throat> thank you for giving us the disciple John who was faithful enough to pen these things that he saw. Thank you for the church from 95 AD till now that has repeated these things over and over again in the world that we might have this revelation. And, and it's such a gift that we have access to you, Father, and that we can hear you help us to obey you. Help us to live awake with the so be it, the amen on our heart. Help us long for your coming and help us live for you as we wait. Father, for anybody who's here today and they just don't think at this point, they don't think they've believed on you for, for forgiveness. They haven't been given that right white robe that only comes from trusting in you and your work on the cross. I pray that by your spirit, you would woo them today, that you would help them know these things are true, that they would be able to believe and trust that you would save souls today. Father, people that maybe that just, just have thought about this as religion, but never really realize that this is a real trust relationship that you're really talking to us by your spirit through, through the word, your word that you, you give us. And, um, Help us, Father, to conform to that, to keep those words, to look forward to what is to come. We pray for the restoration of all things. We say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.